Hey y'all, welcome back to the Hunt Lift Eat Podcast. As always, I'm your host Luke, here with my co-host and cousin Perry. What's up, man? Not a whole lot, man. Been enjoying the uh, couple days of sunshine here after that wet, muddy weekend we just had up in the mountains. Yeah, it was about four degrees in Colorado, so I came back from the mountains with you know the well the, the mountains of Virginia from our week or work weekend this past weekend, and where it was about thirty four degrees and rainy, straight into like four degrees in Colorado. So that's it's been fun. Yeah, with a lot of the weather that's going on around the country right now, I can't really complain too much about things here in North Carolina. Yeah, we shut down post today at like thirteen hundred because uh, we were getting a snowstorm coming in there's gonna be whiteout conditions so far it's not as bad as it was kind of reported that it was going to be but we're supposed to get some more tonight they're calling for like some anywhere between five and ten inches of snow yeah it's crazy i know we were talking with caleb earlier today one of the team members and he was telling us a little bit about the uh, blackouts down there in texas so uh it's tough a lot of a lot of places are getting hammered with with some pretty hardcore winter storms right now but um luckily here, here in this part of the world, I've had a couple of days of sunshine, been able to enjoy that. It's been nice for, I think we're about to get some, some more ice tonight and then, um, hopefully have a nice weekend. Unlike the one we just finished up in Virginia. Yeah, that was kind of, kind of miserable and kind of funny. The whole weekend was just kind of a comedy of errors as we can kind of continue to say throughout the weekend, nothing really went right, but we still were able to get a lot done. We had initially kind of planned to knock out a big long list of tasks we had built, just kind of off season reset stuff. And then, you know, prep for next, next year. We have a lot of big plans in the works as we try to improve the property. And we didn't get, get, <laughs> didn't get to a lot of it from a combination of folks not being able to come or having to leave early and the weather. And then, a bunch of other mishaps and stupidity on uh, both of our parts. Yeah, it was one of those things where you go into it with high hopes and a lot of good intentions, and then uh, just kind of has the way of knocking you back down to reality real quick. But um, I think for my part, I'm pretty happy with what we got done. I wish Evan had been able to stick around for the for the entirety of the weekend, but and wish uh, we'd been able to get a little bit more um, involvement from some of the other guys that had originally planned on coming. But all in all, we still had a good time, still got some things done. We can uh, we can kind of get into that a little bit here if you want to. Yeah, definitely. Why don't you go ahead and kind of break down what some of our goals were and kind of the big picture stuff and what we're looking at at the property, uh, especially as far as, you know, habitat uh, management and kind of prepping for deer season with some of those projects. Yeah, and I think it would be good just to give some of our listeners a little bit of background on the property in general, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have similar situations where they're they're hunting family farms, hunting properties that they grew up on or around, you know, could be relatively small properties um, that, you know, they, they may not have a ton of experience or a ton of resources to throw at a full-scale, you know, wildlife management plan, uh, which is kind of the situation that we've been in with this property it's property that's been in our family for years. It's always been run as a traditional cattle, uh, sheep horse farm. That was what our grandfather did. And since he passed away about 20 years ago, a little more, the property has been more or less neglected. Um, the property is basically a mix of cattle pasture and varying levels of, uh, timber, 
in various levels of succession of timber property. Um, a good bit of it has been planted in white pine. And then we also have a, a good number of hardwoods, uh, mixed hardwoods, some bottom land, a ridge that was cut over probably 10, 15 years ago. And that just kind of gives uh, folks listening a little bit of an idea of kind of the, the situation that we're talking about. So over the past few years, as we started to kind of get a little bit more serious about property management, we've started um, opening up a couple areas for some small food plots, started talking about how we things we can do in terms of timber stand improvement to maximize some of the mass producing species that we have out there. And um, all of that in consideration of the cattle that are currently still on the property. And, you know, that's kind of the the money-making endeavor for the property. So that's kind of the plan that we've, you know, the kind of the overall vision that we've kind of come up with. And so some of the things we were planning to do this weekend specifically were do some frost seeding in two or three little food plot areas, um, go ahead and start the process of opening up couple of other areas that we had discussed for small food plots and um, and then start some of the process of the uh, the timber stand improvement. Why don't you go ahead and unpack kind of what the frost seeding looks like? Because that was a concept I didn't really know that much about until you really brought it up. And I think I'd listened to, uh, I think Mark Kenyon talks about, talks about it a few times on uh, Wired, Wired to Hunt with some of what he was doing during the Back 40 project, but let the listeners kind of know what that process is and like how it works. Yes. So, you know, a lot of guys, kind of the conventional uh, idea around food plots has been, you know, traditional tillage, seed, um, cultipac, and there's, there's all sorts of, you know, there's an entire industry that has, you know, kind of evolved around that, around that process. Recently, uh, the no-till movement has gained some momentum and, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff out there for that. You can use no-till drills. Um, but the problem is those are extremely expensive. They're extremely heavy. Our tractor that we have on the property now is not really big enough to pull the type of drill that we would need, especially when you consider the mountainous topography that we have. And so what we decided to do was this frost seeding method, which is basically where, you broadcast seed during late winter, early spring, and in areas that you have cold enough temperatures like we do there in the Appalachian Mountains, the freeze-thaw cycle of the soil, so as the soil freezes during the nights and during the real cold spells, um, it, it, it contracts, and then as it thaws, you, it opens back up and you get these these little small openings in the ground that actually allow the seed to work its way down into the top couple inches of the soil. And so you can just take whatever kind of seed you're interested in, whether it's, you know, smaller seeds, larger seeds. We did, we did a little bit of a mix this time, but it was mostly a couple different varieties of clover and you just broadcast them. And the freeze thaw actually ends up allowing that seed to work its way into the soil. That's, that's the basic gist of frost seeding. Yeah, that was definitely appealing to us with just the time constraints that we have, obviously not being able to run the drill, even if we had wanted to rent one, you know, that's a whole day to get it, get it set up, get it running. 
we're only there for two, three days. So definitely makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense for, for, you know, guys running smaller operations. They have a piece of, you know, leased land. They don't have a lot of money to invest in. So I think that would be a good option for folks to use on their own little piece of property that they're trying to improve on. Yeah. And that was exactly my thoughts when I first started, um, proposing to you guys the idea of frost eating because it's something that you can do. You don't have to have a ton of, ton of the, the equipment, the resources, and we'll see, you know, this is our last year. We started the, that one little food plot that we did and we kind of got a little bit of a late start with it. And we, we kind of got unlucky with some of the weather conditions that, that we had when we, when we uh, planted that plot, but you know, we still had some germination. We still had some, some stuff come up in there and, and, to be honest, the deer used it. That was where I ended up getting one of my uh, my kills this year um, was in that food plot. So I'm excited to see what our germination is this spring and those areas that we frost seeded. If it works well, I definitely think it's something that we will continue to do and probably expand our efforts in going forward. Yeah, I definitely think uh, we should. I hope it works. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing it. It's really cool, even though we didn't have the great yield out of the food plot that we, maybe we were looking for, just to to go back to that first plot and you see everything coming up. You know, you see the broad leaf from everything. We had the brassicas and the clovers and everything, and and just seeing that and it's still you know it's still there and it's definitely rewarding when you start to make the improvements on the property and then just seeing. I mean, I killed. I'm mean, just a button buck, but the deer I killed this year with my bow on the property was out of that plot. You killed one. The biggest buck we have on the property right now that we have on camera was hanging out in that plot. So it's definitely cool to quickly start to see the fruits of that labor. Yeah, for sure. It was super exciting to see that buck using that plot because when we pulled that card and checked that camera, those those pictures, I, yeah, I, I got all excited texting you and Evan. I was like, man, we got this nice buck hanging out in the plot. And he was there for, I think it was like two, two and a half hours. And just, it was right in the middle of the rut, early, early to mid November. And I'm sure there were does in the area that were using that, that food plot as well for some food. And uh, it was exciting to see, to see those results that quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, once we put the cameras back out uh, later in the season or later in the off season to kind of see what the, uh, the fruits of that, that looks like. One of the other things we were trying to tackle is uh, for the first time, really, since I've been hunting out there and probably since you were a kid, we put minerals out and I'm definitely excited to kind of see what that looks like, what that's going to attract, and then also what that's going to do to antler growth and then just the overall health of the herd. Yeah, for sure. It's It was probably, what, I don't know, a decade ago or maybe 15 years ago, the last time that anyone consistently ran minerals on that property. And I say consistently in, in air quotes, because it was really only for a few short years that that was, that was done. And, and getting that supplemental nutrition, especially this time of year is important. And some of the, some of the nicest deer that we saw on that property were when uh, we were supplementing with minerals, given that it's all just cattle pasture and we don't really have, it's not like we have strong fields of corn or soybeans, anything like that. Um, it's nice to have, to know that they're, they're getting the nutrition they need during the, during this time of year when nutrition is, and food sources are kind of, um, scarce. And so I, I think getting, getting going back into that will definitely, definitely produce some results going forward. At least that's the hope. Yeah, definitely. So I'm 
kind of combing through my phone right now. I wanted to kind of break down what the uh, our mineral recipe looked like, but I can't find it. Do you have it handy? Yeah, that was something that uh, I was actually going to bring up because you you had mentioned that, and I wasn't. I would. I was just uh, planning on buying one of the pre, um, you know, the prepackaged mineral from some of the you know some of the different companies that do it. Um, so yeah, I found it here. So what we did was we just went to, uh, there's a, there's a Southern States around us, but any, any of your local, um, agricultural supply stores probably would have what you need. And we did, um, a hundred pounds of red trace mineral, 50 pounds of loose salt and 50 pounds of dicalcium phosphate. So that's two to one to one for red trace, loose salt and dicalcium phosphate. And you just mix it all up. Um, in that, in that ratio, however much you want to buy at one time, it's pretty cheap to buy it in bulk that way. Certainly a lot cheaper than it would be if you bought the, the prepackaged versions, um, from some of the, some of the companies out there in the industry and make, you mix it up. And then we just, we put it in in five gallon buckets and rode it around and put it on the various spots out on the property that we thought it would be, you know, be best utilized. Yeah. We dug holes and then just put it straight into the ground. Now you do need to be cognizant of your uh, your state laws. So what we'll have to do is after we've placed this in the ground is prior to the season, I'll have to check the exact dates. I think it's in August or September. We're going to actually have to dig up so much of the dirt deep depth and wide around uh, the mineral where it's at just to ensure that there's no residual minerals in the soil there um, and then go and, and get rid of the dirt. But yeah, it's, it's definitely pretty cool. And it's, it's way cheaper. Uh, like Perry was saying, than buying, you know, your blocks. And then plus when you're buying your blocks, what I've noticed, even the ones that are like quote unquote mineral blocks, they're mostly just salt anyways. Granted our ratio is mostly salt, but you're getting significantly more of that trace. And so that, that red trace is, is significantly salt, but you're also getting a ton of the trace, uh, minerals. I think it's zinc, iron, uh, I don't know. There's a ton of the magnesium. There's just a ton of that stuff. Oh, that yeah. All the, the, the trace minerals that they need for that's going to help with their everything from just their overall health, uh, digestion to bone growth for their antlers and all that. So it's looks to be a pretty good recipe. We haven't used it before. I got it from a fellow down in Georgia that uh, on Fort Benning, you can run mineral licks. And this guy's always on big bucks, always has big deer in his little areas on camera. So it, it comes highly recommended. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out for us. Yeah. And this is a good time of year to do it as well. And I'm hopeful that, that we'll see the results of that because not only is it, is food scarce and, and some of the nutrition that they need, you know, coming out of the rut and into the coldest months of the year, hard to come by, but also the does that are, um, that, you know, got, got pregnant during the rut and they're now carrying and, you know, the, the, the embryos, um, it's it's highly critical for the health of those new fawns that are going to be born in the spring to have their their mothers have have good reserves throughout the winter and have the nutrition that they need and for uh for the buck fawns that are going to be born and you know continue hopefully to develop into nice mature deer down the road that even that first um first few months while they're still still in the uterus of the, of the dough is actually critical for them to get the nutrition they need. So that's, that's another good reason for people out there that might be thinking about putting minerals, go ahead and, you know, do it now. It's a good time to start. Yeah. On that same note, I was reading a study recently that was basically outlining, outlining how 
it's actually far more important for the pregnant mother, her nutrition than it is for the actual buck later in life for his development with his antler growth and like reaching his full potential. And so the nutrition of that, that pregnant mother is going to matter far more than the nutrition of the, uh, the deer later in life, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah, it is. And and the great thing about the whitetail for those of us that love to hunt is that it's such a, it's such a charismatic and enigmatic species that there's so much good research out there. You know, if anybody wants to nerd out in some of those types of, of, um, of articles and studies that have been done, um, you can really find some cool information that can actually lead you to, you know, down some paths that you might otherwise not have gone to, to try to manage the, the herd, the population on your property. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I find myself down those rabbit holes. I'll listen to a podcast and we'll talk about something. And then I just find myself going down the wormhole of Google or YouTube, just learning stuff that I won't remember later. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's what, those were a few things that we did accomplish this weekend that, uh, you know, we hope to, we, we were actually hoping to, to seed and a few, you know, do a little bit more frost seeding than we actually did and get out a few more minerals, but the weather was, um, kind of fighting us the whole weekend. So why don't you tell, tell the guys, tell the listeners, uh, some of the things that we, that we didn't get to, um, that we kind of hoped to this weekend. Cause that was a long list as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, we can start with some of the other stuff that wasn't, uh, kind of related directly to the wildlife imp- or management and improvement was, uh, we did end up building up a bunch of new targets. So, um, at our cabin, Basically, we have right now we have shooting lanes at 100, 200, 300, 400. So it's really convenient. We have steel at all those distances. And then we have a zero target set up um, at 100, which has been nice. But I've been really frustrated. It's just not very convenient because it's basically just a piece of plywood propped up. And so we built actual frames for all these ranges to where you can slide the plywood in and out as it gets shot up like smaller pieces of plywood. And so they're pretty big. Um, I think they're like 60 inches wide. I don't know, probably about five feet tall. It's going to be really nice to be able to have these set up at 50, 100, 200, and 300. And with that, I really want to be able to like start shooting paper at distance, which is something I think we're, we're definitely guilty of not doing enough is shooting at distance, knowing your dope, being able to get all that information knowing, Hey, when I'm holding here, this is where I'm hitting my point A and point impact and starting to build all that information to know what your ballistics look like at, at distance. And so that was something we were really wanting to, uh, to knock out. And it was kind of funny. Perry, <laughs> Perry's bringing the tools. Obviously I was flying from Colorado, so I didn't bring any tools. This is just one of the comedy of errors. We go to start working. Uh, we got everything, all the lumber unloaded, move it into the tool shed and it's like a good rainy day project just to sit in the tool shed, drink beer and, you know, run power tools. And like you do. Like you do. And Perry pulls out the fucking circular saw. And I was like, Perry, there's not a blade on that. Like, what? <laughs> and he looks at it and he's like, Oh, I brought the blade. He's like, it's in here. And he opens, he grabs, you know, it looks like a cardboard box with a blade in it or whatever. And he opens it up and it's the grinding wheel for the, the grinder. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not the blade. And he's like, shit (laughs) and so luckily luckily we had like some you know circular saw in the tool shed from like the 1950s that our papa had still ran great blade was sharp enough to do the little bit of cutting we needed to do well then (laughs) we go to fire up the the uh, impact driver to start putting all these screws in 
and the batteries are all dead. Barry's like, well, I charged them. And I don't know, for those of you that have the, the, the DeWalt 20-volt tool set, the batteries sometimes don't seat all the way. And Perry just got the set, so he didn't know that. And so he had them sitting on the charger all night long, not charging at all. So all the batteries are dead. And so that was just like the first of many things that continued to go wrong throughout the weekend. We get, get all the targets built. I get them loaded up on the tractor. Perry's frost seeding. And uh, I go to drive up the bank to go put them where one of the targets are. Some of you guys might have seen the uh, the pictures. And I almost flipped the almost flipped the tractor. I rolled it up on three wheels. The only thing that kept me from flipping was the target stands on the front forks, like wedged into the ground, kind of kept me upright enough. And uh, so it was it was definitely uh, it could have been worse. We managed to get it back down on four wheels and get it back out of there. But I mean, I don't even know what what else went wrong, Perry. Yeah, that the the tractor was a little hairy. <laughs> I was up there in the woods trying to finish up the frost seed before the before it really started raining hard on us. And he called me. He's like, "Well, the tractor's on three wheels." I was like, "Oh shit, here we go." So, I think I actually it, opened with I said, "Well, the tractor didn't flip." Yeah, but it's on three wheels right now. <laughs> it is. It is so tough when the ground is that wet and has been that super saturated to put any sort of weight on on the front of a tractor and try to try to uh take it up something steep like that man that we we got very fortunate that that it wasn't worse than it was so it but it was nice to get those targets built even as as frustrating as it was at times and going through the debacle with the with the new tool set was was kind of frustrating and also entertaining at the same time but it was it was nice to get the targets built. I'm excited to get those out it's we're we're fortunate that the cabin is in a good spot where we have opportunities to to shoot at various distances and like you said we've had those still targets up but to be able to be able to get some true good zero targets and be able to really dial in at range um is going to be nice i just wish we'd been able to to set them in the ground because we <laughs> the ground was so wet we go to to dig the holes for the first target to go ahead and get it set and there's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to set these targets and get them firm and you know we used we use pretty solid posts. I mean, these are these are pressure treated fence posts that we built the target, you know, the the supports for the targets from, and we were going to tamp them in and try to get them solid. And in that in that wet, muddy ground, there was just absolutely no way. So we just had to we just had to bail on that and and just be satisfied with getting them built, but not actually set up. Yeah, I was like trying to tamp and baby shit, and this was moving instead of tightening up. But <laughs> yeah, we decided to then kind of shift focus, and we. So we, I framed out a uh, a ground blind. Actually, you were with me when we, Perry and I framed out a ground blind. I think last summer in a spot that we've been talking about, kind of putting a either a stand or a blind in for a long time, and got a roof on it. But we never finished and got the walls up. It just never happened uh, prior to this season, and so we we weren't able to use this spot. And so that was a big focus of ours, and we were able to cut the walls. Get the our uncle had some leftover composite uh, like. Uh, shed siding that we were able to cut to size and get get tacked up and we painted it up it looked actually turned out really nice i think it's going to be an awesome uh awesome blind we got the, the roof's leaking yeah. a little bit so we got to patch that a little but i think it's going to be an awesome spot it's really big it's going to be great for filming uh, we did a lot of chainsaw work too limbed up a ton of trees cut some shooting lanes it's up on a ridge looking down into the bottom area we got a creek bottom area that kind of runs the the length of the property and so it's a the deer just move up and down that creek bottom all day long 
And then it also looks into a field we call the backfield, which is on the backside of the property because we're real creative with names. And uh, that's a great spot. There's always deer in there as well. So I think we're going to cut a lane to be able to see back in that backfield. And for rifle, you're going to have some great shots. And then honestly, you know, it wouldn't be ideal for bow, but if it was, a you know, heavy rain, you could sit there because they'll cross actually right within a bow range of the stand as well. So it'll be a, a cool little spot to have set up. Yeah, I was excited to get that done. You know, we were we had kind of been hoping that James might have been able to to get that project finished while he was actually living up there this summer. But since that didn't happen, we had to we had to come in and and get it finished up this weekend. It would have been nice to to be able to hunt there this year. But I'm excited we'll have it going forward. Um, I, it's going to be it's like I say it's one of those spots where you just have natural crossings. They, they use the the um, the topo there to their favor going back and forth from one ridge to another and then down through that bottom. And so I'm definitely excited. We got that ground blind finished. That'll be, that'll be great. Have another option for, for the shitty weather days. Like we just had while we were building it to have a place to not, you know, if we're having Seth out there, whoever do some filming, not get the cameras too wet and not be too miserable. Um, it'll be good. Yeah, I think that's something we've definitely learned the past this past season and maybe the season prior as well is with the bad weather. You know, when we were living up there and we could kind of hunt almost as much as we wanted to, if the weather was real shitty, we just didn't hunt. But now that I'm I'm traveling, that's not really an option. Like if I'm flying across the country to do a weekend of bow hunting with, you know, all of our crew for deer camp, I'm not going to just not hunt. So that's where obviously good rain gear, but then I also think we're thinking a lot more about having some kind of alternative uh, stands and blinds set up that might have some overhead cover to keep us out of the rain, especially like that early, you know, that early October rain usually is, we're not getting snow in, in Virginia at that time. We're getting that 40 degrees, 50 degrees, 30, deg- you know, 35 degrees and then rainy and it's just miserable. So uh, we're definitely having to consider some different things. We've learned a lot of lessons, I think with, as I have with traveling and hunting stuff I never really thought about before. And so uh, we're, we're kind of changing some of our off season plans with how we're trying to build out some of our spots. And then obviously with bow hunting, that's completely changed how we started hanging stands. That was the first year I bow hunted out of that farm. I was just sitting in a lot of our old rifle stands and I would be like 60 yards from a doe. And it's like, fuck, like this is awesome. I'm seeing a ton of deer, you know, all the spots I usually see deer, but yeah, it's an easy shot with a rifle. Yeah, chip shots, but you know, with my bow, I'm not going to high angle that, especially with my skill level at this point. So, 40 and in for me, and so I'm like, well, we got to kind of rethink this. And we 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 hung a couple stands. Uh, nobody killed anything out of them. I actually don't think I even saw deer out of any of those stands that we hung that I sat in. So we're we're going to rethink and hang a lot more uh, hang on stands. And we all all have saddles now, which would be nice. It gives us a lot more mobility. I know you, you really hunted with the saddle hard this year, and then. I bought one at the end of the season because I was jealous after watching how flexible you and John were. Yeah, I tell you what, it was really, and we we can talk about that um, more if you want to, but it was something that I really enjoyed this year using that saddle for the first time on a property that I've hunted literally my entire life, but having the option with the saddle to go beyond all of our traditional stand sites, blind sites, and places that we normally sit. And I think... I think literally every saddle sit that I had this year was a different tree. And it was obviously 
a tree that I'd, I'd never set in before, you know, I'm familiar with the entire property, but hunting, you know, it, it can make a big difference 50, 75 yards away from where you're, you're used to, you go down on the side of the ridge, you get up, you know, a little higher, a little lower than you've ever, you know, sat before. Cause you, that's not where your stand was. And it was, it was really exciting for me to have that option out there on the family farm, hunt it in a different way that I never had before. So, and you're definitely right about bow hunting when you make that, that mindset shift, how you have to then rethink every single setup that we've used and that we've, you know, created out there the entire time. Yeah. It's uh there's definitely some, some big lessons learned. I think bow hunting it makes you think about everything a lot more because now you're like, okay, I've got to be within 40. So it's not enough for me just to be like, ah, I think they're going to move through here or here. Like, it's like, I need to know where they're going to be moving and I need to dial in and really try to get up in there be a lot more aggressive. Like rifle hunting, you want to sit on the edge and you sit back versus with bow hunting, you're really trying to get into those movement travel corridors or even like right into that bedding, get in between the bedding and the food. And so that's something where as we're developing these food plots, it all ties back in, you know, we're trying to give them more options, especially for late season, because we have a lot of hardwoods and a lot of uh, oaks and the, the acorns. And like, it's been a really big acorn crop the past two years, re- really. And so <clears throat> honestly, so much so that it's actually can be harder because yeah, they're, they're eating acorns. But when you've got that mast all over the, the woods, it's a lot harder to, to really hone in on that spot. So we're trying to give them a little bit of variety with these food plots. We're doing pretty much micro plots. Nothing's really bigger than a quarter acre. <clears throat> and we're doing them usually within some thick timber that we're clearing out because we can't do it on the field in the fields or the field edges because the cattle will just destroy it because we've got no internal fencing. It's, it's leased. And so when our papa died, they tore out all the internal fencing. And so the cattle just kind of free graze across the whole property anywhere there's pasture. And so we've got to be very strategic with where we put these plots, where we put the minerals to try to keep the cattle out of them. Because I mean, a mineral pile you put out, 10 cows will go through, you know, 50 pounds of mineral in a day. So uh, it's definitely something we've got to be cognizant of. And so that's, we've really been focusing on kind of finding little bowls, little areas within the, the timber that's already kind of open and then just widening that out with some chainsaw work, getting some more sunshine in there. And, uh, that's what we did at the this, this current plot we have. And we've picked probably two or three other spots that we really want to do that too. And we're also considering, and we'll have to talk to the, the fellow who owns the lease, but maybe using some, you, you can get a, like a car battery with a solar charger and then set up electric fencing and then be able to set up some really small plots within some of those other areas, like out, out closer to the, to the actual pasture. So we've got some options, but it's fun to kind of play with and explore it all. Yeah. And you said something there that made me think of something that might be, you know, some of our listeners might be interested in is if you're in a similar situation and you don't have a ton of acreage that you're able to go in and put in a, you know, a real big three, four, five, eight acre food plot, something like that. Um, one of the ways that we've kind of chosen where we're doing these little micro plots, as you said, that are kind of back up in the woods is all of this property that's in timber now was harvested at some point along the line. You know, the most recent timber harvest was 10, 15 years ago, but all the stuff where there's planted pines now that those pines were probably planted 30 or 35 years ago, you know, that's, that was all harvested prior to those pines being set out. And so what you can do is take a lot of those old logging yards 
they're, they're typically half an acre, an acre up in the woods somewhere, kind of, you know, typically the loggers like to set up their yard in somewhere that's kind of flat, uh, relatively easy to get the trucks in, set their equipment up. And if you keep those areas cleaned out and you keep the, the skitter trails and so forth maintained that come to those yards and um, you, you let them get a little bit of sunlight, those, those can actually turn into decent little food plots. And that's been our strategy for how we've chosen the locations of our little micro plots up in the timber. And uh, I, I just thought that might be something worthwhile for anybody who's thinking about how to how to select or how to how to get started on a little small scale food plot, um, you know, especially something that that's not traditional agriculture or they don't have the you know the traditional um, large scale equipment to do so. Yeah, I think that's definitely definitely useful. Um, it's been fun because you obviously have the wildlife you know background with the college and the formal education. I don't. And so this is kind of a learning experience for me. I get to kind of piggyback off what you're doing and what you know, and then do my own research. And so it's a lot of fun. I'm definitely interested in, in like the, the like the forestry side of it, along with the wildlife management and like tying it all together. Cause it's all like intimately related and it all feeds off each other. And so the more, you know, about one, the more it helps the other. Perry likes to, we'll go through the woods and Perry, I'll be like, he'll hold up a leaf and be like, what's this? And he'll just give me a quiz. And I got to try to Usually I'm pretty good now. I can like, I can say like, that's an oak, but it'll be like, what kind of oak? And then I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Little dendrology 101 for you. Yeah. I, uh, I took one forestry class in college and I think I got a C plus. So I know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. And that was one of the things we were hoping to get to this weekend that we really didn't was there was, there was one area that we were going to try to set up a new kind of little micro plot up in the woods and then you and i've kind of bounced around all these different ideas for some some timber stand improvement in, in terms of actually improving some of the uh the cover and the bedding for the deer on our property because a lot of the a lot of the timber has gotten to an age class and an age structure now where it's relatively mature it's at least maturing stands and as anyone knows as the trees get older get a get a higher and more enclosed canopy you start shading out that understory and you start minimizing the uh the cover and also the forage um on some of the native the native browse in in those understory and midstory layers and those in those uh in those early successional timber stands and so now that a lot of the timber on our property has kind of reached that point you know we've talked about some of the things you can do hinge cutting to kind of improve the bedding um, improve some of the, the regeneration. And that was something we were hoping to get started on this weekend. I still, uh, want to do that. We just, we didn't get around to it with, with the, um, complications that we ran into with, with some of the other projects, but there's a lot of good resources out there for, for folks that are interested in timber stand improvement. And I'm hoping that, uh, on our family farm there, we can, you know, something that we can definitely get into a little bit more and hopefully, um, provide some some content and some so show some of our listeners what we're doing. Just, you know, hopefully some some things that are going to work for us. Yeah, we definitely we had big plans about filming this whole weekend. Um, Seth actually had to work his big boy job and, and wasn't able to come, which is probably for the best because it would have been really hard to film in the rainy, soggy conditions we had. Plus, you know, there, 
it really, I mean, it would have been entertaining, I guess it would have been like a fucking blooper reel, but it was, uh, it was not super educational from what we ended up getting done. It was just a lot of carpentry work to be honest, but going forward, I definitely, and I know Perry is on the same boat. We definitely want to start recording and, you know, setting up some, some YouTube episodes with what we're doing and, you know, kind of showing like our thought process and then following up and seeing how it actually does. And like, if, you know, if what we do doesn't make any sense, that it doesn't work. Like we'll tell you guys, like, Hey, maybe don't try this. It didn't work for us. Um, and then if it does work, you know, kind of, you know, record that and, and show the results of the labor as it goes. So it'll be pretty cool. Really. It's, it's a time thing. And then trying to get Perry technologically, you know, up to speed. He doesn't know how to use this fucking camera on his phone much less run an actual professional video camera so no no that's that's not a that's not my forte i'll stick to walking in the woods and identifying oak leaves we've all got our our roles in the company i guess yeah for sure yeah that was (laughs) so uh i don't know why but that just made me think of evan so evan obviously was we talked about it he was supposed to come up here as well or come up to the farm as well and he did showed up he was there for about i don't know (laughs) Four Six, hours, eight hours yeah, <laughs> something like that. And uh, luckily, he didn't stay up with us. He went; his girlfriend came up with him, so they went back to the farmhouse there on the on the property, and we stayed at the hunting cabin. We stayed up having a few drinks, trying to make up for us, you know, dry January. And uh, it's a good thing Evan quit because he got a recall and he had to head back to Fort Bragg, quick, fast, shit. and in a hurry. So he busted in there like damn redcoats were coming and grabbed his shit and jumped in the truck and beat feet. So. Uh, luckily, he's pretty. We're pretty close there uh, to Bragg. It wasn't too too far of a drive for him, but it was just kind of shitty that it ended the weekend early. You know, it was a training thing, but it was all right. Yeah, that's life in the army, I guess, for you guys. Yeah, luckily I'm not on a recall because I'm in the Fourth Infantry Division. I don't do anything cool these days, but uh, for some guys, that's definitely life. I was on a on pass, so there's no no risk of me getting called back. Yeah, it was a bummer. Evan had to leave. Um... It's definitely even just one extra set of hands. You can, you can get a lot more accomplished, but um, that's, that's the nature of the beast and and his line of work. Um, But, you know, we did have James with us the entire weekend, which, which was really good. I was glad, I was glad he came down and it was, it was fun to to have the time with him. And, and hopefully, hopefully we, uh, (laughs) we showed him a couple of things and showed him a couple of things not to do. You, you gave him a good, good tutorial on how not to drive a tractor so I, <laughs> I was glad that that james james was able to make it even though evan had to bug out early yeah it was awesome james is in the core cadets at virginia tech right now he's my little brother and uh there's about an eight-year gap between us so it was really cool that he was able to to make it back to, down to the farm and, and spend the weekend with us he's honestly a big help when we, we he's obviously the baby of the group so he gets shit on a lot uh we, we mess with him tell him he's he's prospecting he's getting his working on getting his patch but he uh he was a huge help and is definitely an asset out there when we just got to get him to, <laughs> to bust his ass when we're not around. Yeah. Yeah. With him being up, we were hoping he was going to get that ground blind done this summer, but that's all right. We, uh, we got it done. Got to, got to put a chainsaw in his hands, gave him a little, little chainsaw tutorial, which is always, always good, good tool to know how to use if you're trying to do some, some property management stuff. So, so yeah, I was glad he made it. Yeah, for sure. He put in some work, no, no doubt. But yeah, man, that's uh. <laughs> so with that, we were supposed to have Evan there. Honestly, we we're supposed to have a few other guys as well, and then Seth. And we were gonna 
with the weather and everything. They couldn't come. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then I was like, oh, Perry, fuck it. We'll knock out a bunch of podcasts. We can do like three podcasts, get them all banked up. We'll sit there in the tool shed. It's always more fun to do them together with a beer in your hand than to do them remote. And uh, <laughs> so we get it all set up. <laughs> and I'm going through my backpack. And I have a – I bought a, a new MacBook back in December uh, just because for the business I needed something better than my, like, 10-year-old Asus I was using. And the new MacBooks, because Apple's a pain in the ass, don't have the typical drive. Like, they don't have the USB drive. They've got whatever the newest one is, like the C or the 3 or whatever the fuck. And so I left my adapter in Colorado, and our farm is literally in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. It's 30 minutes to get to Walmart, if you're lucky. Yeah. And so at that point, it was just like, you got to be kidding me. So we couldn't even do podcasts. Um, we had no way of recording them. We could have like done it on the shitty speakers on our phone, I guess. But at that point, I was like, no, I'd rather just wait and get get back. But I mean, that was tough because I got home when I got home Monday. Didn't get stuck in Dallas. Thought I was going to. So I, I mean, you guys know I was in the field for two weeks. I was actually in the field longer than I thought I was going to be. And so like I did a very poor job forecasting and planning this trip. I came out of the field. Literally had one night at my house, and then the next day about noon, got on a plane to fly. So my wife was not thrilled, you know, about that. Uh, she's definitely supportive of all my hobbies and everything, but I think she'd have preferred to have a little more time with me. Plus I was exhausted from, you know, two weeks in the field, getting three hours of sleep in the freezing cold at night, and then jumping on a plane, flying across the country, working all weekend, coming back. And it's like, we don't have a podcast on deck. And I was like, son of a bitch. And then Tuesday is actually my, my, courthouse anniversary and so surprise for all, all my family that didn't know i got married in a courthouse with you know now i don't know if that was public knowledge for everybody but uh about half the family <laughs> probably knew at this it's public point. now buddy <laughs> and so uh so yeah i was like i told perry yesterday i was like yeah I probably can't do it man and then today I was like, man, if we had anything lined up, I would not do it because I'm still exhausted. So it's been a, it's been bang, bang, bang. I'm looking forward to this weekend. You know, I want to just relax a little bit. Maybe Sunday afternoon we can do some leisurely podcasts and get a couple banked up so I can edit them slowly. I'm going to stay up all night tonight editing this one. Yeah, that was a little bit of a, a bummer because we had, we, you know, the weekend got started out so rough and we were fighting the weather the whole time, looking at the forecast going, man, this, this is just going to be so shitty, but at least we can sit in the cabin or sit in the tool shed, drink a couple beers and knock out some podcasts. And we get James up there frying up that venison steak for lunch. And we're like, cool. We're going to sit here and knock out a podcast while he cooks lunch. And to forget the, <laughs> the, the damn, the damn adapter that we needed it was just like, my God, how can, how can this weekend go any, any more wrong? But that's all right. We, uh, we still, we still managed to have a good time like we always do. And, and, uh, hopefully the listeners will understand. Uh, I think they probably will. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's just for my job, I, I'm supposed to be a planner. You know, that's literally what my job is right now. And it just shows how uh, planning matters. And I didn't plan at all coming straight out of the field. Like, I I was literally packing my bag to go, <laughs> to come to get on my flight, like, 45 minutes before my flight at the house. Luckily, I live six minutes from the airport in Colorado Springs. And then you can get through the Colorado Springs airport in five minutes with 
TSA pre-check. So it's pretty quick, but like, yeah, it was bad. I was actually worried about missing my flight. So just, just goes to tell everybody like make a list, lay out all your shit, pack ahead of time. Don't rush. You're, you're going to forget stuff. And we forgot a lot of shit. Perry forgot a blade for the fucking saw. Yep. Yep. And then I forgot like the one piece of equipment I had. All, I mean, I had two sets of headphones, the splitter, all the microphones, laptop, obviously, just one little adapter. So I'm going to buy like six of those adapters and just have a bunch. I'm probably going to leave one at the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. They're like 20 bucks. It'd probably be well worth the investment. Yeah, for sure. No, you're right. It goes to show that, you know, life, life is always going to be chaotic. There's always going to be things that that you can't anticipate and but anytime you can can eliminate some of the uh some of the potential for those those things to go wrong with a little bit of planning check your check your gear check your shit make sure you got the the saw blade make sure you got got the uh (laughs) the freaking equipment you need to do the to do the uh the podcast in order to actually you know broadcast this shit and tell people about about our uh are goings on it's lessons learned man lessons learned yeah constantly learning those hard lessons but i mean luckily like nothing crazy happened we didn't actually roll the tractor and what i think was cool was that i think we both maintained our and james as well we all just maintained a pretty good attitude throughout the entire situation just really funny sense of humor is because i mean I, I i'm forgetting there was a laundry list of more stuff that went wrong like literally it was like every hour we'd be like are you kidding me like yeah it's something. Um, so it was just one of those things where we were just like, ah, well, on to the next thing. Like, we'll just do what we can do. All we can control is what we control. Let's knock out, you know, the projects that we can do in this weather. And then it's like, well, we can't finish this project. Let's go knock something out. So we were productive the whole weekend. It just wasn't probably what we had all envisioned. You know, the three of us probably had our own separate lists of everything we wanted to get done. And then obviously Evan didn't get to any of it because <laughs> right. he was there for a few hours. And then, you know, me and you we're able to knock off a, a few things at least. So it'll be good. I'm really excited going forward for all this though. Like it's, it's definitely cool just to get out and then to do this stuff, to look at it and kind of start, like even since we've started doing this over the past, I mean, two years is when we've really started like going beyond hunting and just trying to start developing the land with the management piece is I, I start to look at everything differently. It's like, Oh, we could maybe do a little something here or we could clear this out or like, you know, this little bowl might be good for something or we could do it. You know, you start looking at the, the landscape and the topo differently, I think. Yeah, you definitely do. And, and on one hand, it's it's frustrating because you want to go in there and you want to make all these wholesale changes. And, you know, we have some some limitations with, with what we can do, not just with resources, but just with some of the, you know, the, the factors of the property. And that's the case for everybody. You know, every, everyone, regardless, I mean, I guess, you know, there are probably, there are probably people out there that can go and manage their property however they want to. And, th- and that's great. But there's a lot of people that, whether it's a lease or it's, it's your property, but you're just, you know, you have constraints, um, you, you do what you can do. And the great thing about, about it is once you kind of get that ball rolling, once you get started, you're right, you start seeing things differently. You start developing that, that list in your head of what you want to accomplish. So that even when, you develop a plan, you want to put it into action. And then, you know, it's 37 degrees and you've got, you've had three inches of rain in the past 48 hours and you can't do something You're like, well, on to the next thing, 
there's something else we can do because we've already spent the time. We've talked about it. We've developed our, our different strategies, our different priorities. And, you know, you move on. It's, it's, it's what you do. Yeah, it's applicable to obviously life and everything else. But really, uh, as you were just saying that, when during my Western hunting, and we're going to do a recap episode, maybe this weekend, that might be what we do Sundays where we talk about this uh, next hunting or this last hunting season. Yeah, that'd be good. But, but we're constant. What I noticed, especially with Western hunting, because obviously you're moving, you're, you're walking, um, you have a vast landscape. I mean, it's unreal how the acreage and like what you're looking at. I remember when I looked at our farm on Onyx after being out West, I was like, the fuck am i looking at (laughs) like it was so small compared to like where i was hunting when i hunted the antelope you know that was like eight thousand acres and that was like a small tract you know and then i look at our farm and it's you know it's i mean don't be wrong it's it's awesome but it's it's 400 acres and then compare that to staring at a map of eight thousand acres it does not seem the same and so it's so much space is you, you constantly have to adapt and you constantly have to be shifting your focus and have that kind of like you're not you don't have just one plan in the army we call it pace right it's primary alternate contingent and emergency for your planning and so you, you've got to constantly be running that pace plan or you've got those next checks of where am i going you know what's this doesn't work i'm going here you know and it's it, you can it applies to we didn't like have a formal pace plan for the weekend, but that's how it ended up working out is like, this is what we want to knock out, but then it didn't work out. So we went to our alternate and then I think we probably got down to the emergency for like getting shit done. Um, oh, yeah. And so I think that's something that's very valuable in all facets of, of hunting, planning, anything you're doing. It, it definitely is important and it makes a big difference because we, we could have just bitched and complained and just said, fuck it. We're just going to sit on the cabin porch and drink beer and not do anything. And then, basically just wasted a weekend and you know $300 for plane tickets and everything else versus we were able to knock out a lot of shit even though it wasn't you know the most optimal of conditions no i think you're right it's definitely something that is applicable in in whether it's planning a hunt managing a property some other aspect of your life any other aspect of your life you know i, I know there were a couple of times my wife called me while we were up there she was like you know, what are you doing? What's the weather like? It's like, well, the weather's shit. It's 37 degrees and it's raining on us right now. She's like, oh, in the cabin? It's like, no, nah, we're we're outside. We're trying to finish up this ground blind. We're trying to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, there were times it sucked. And um, But honestly, man, I, I look looking back, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we got accomplished. It, we definitely, um, we've got a lot more to do out there. I'm excited about the things that we have planned coming up uh hopefully we can we can put that out there for some some good content and and you know a lot of it like you said a lot of it may work um some of it may not you know we're none of us are true experts on any of this stuff and we're we are fortunate that we actually have the ability to go do a little bit of things that we've been talking about on this property now so i'm hoping that then some of it comes together and we can actually start to see some of the fruits of our labors yeah, I definitely hope so. Um, it's, you know, I'm optimistic, you know, maybe I'm just a little biased because I think we saw some solid results. At least we saw some solid fruit from, you know, not great results that I would say from our food plot. And so I think I almost think that that place is so starved for any sort of improvement in like true management that a little bit of stuff and a little bit of work is going to go a really long way. Um, I think 
obviously we were, we were big uh, fans wired to hunt and the meat eater stuff like like most people are i think mark Kenyon. i was listening to him long before he partnered up with ranella and, and for whitetail it's one of the be- better podcasts out there for the nitty-gritty stuff and watching him on the back 40 it was really cool to see how quickly he was able to turn around that property and yeah there's a lot of variables and it, there could be some some other things that played a factor into that other than just what he did but i think it's you know, there's definitely at least some correlation between all the work that he put in and then, you know, the amount of deer he was seeing this year, the, the significant increase in mature bucks. And so I think that gives us kind of, we were talking about this when that those episodes were coming out this past season and we were watching it. We were like, we were like, man, this is cool. Like this is, gives us like a lot of, I don't want to say hope, but like a lot of like motivation to really put in some work because you can see those results very quickly. And we have, we have nice deer already. You know, I mean, this is southwestern Virginia. Like, this isn't fucking Kansas. We're not sitting on, you know, 120-inch whitetail where we're at is a very large deer. Like, that's a nice deer. So, you know, we're not looking at 180-inch whitetails or 200-inch whitetails or anything like that. Nothing wild. But we have the – we do have a lot of deer, dense population. We do have some nice bucks rolling around. So, I think by doing these little subtle improvements throughout the property, it's going to make a big difference. And then we're hoping to pull some deer from, you know, neighboring properties. There's a – a gated community up on the mountain above us. And I've never seen pictures, but from folks I've talked to around, uh, around the, the area, apparently there's some really big boys that hold up in there in that community. And so I'm hoping maybe some of the mineral, some of the stuff we put out might start to draw some of those, those big fellas down from the mountain. Maybe it won't, but nothing else. You know, if we can attract some more does, we can at least pull them down during the rut, give us an opportunity. Well, it's just gonna, it's just gonna, what I'm hoping to, to ultimately, um, kind of get out of this going forward is the fact that we can always be doing something to improve it. You, you know, we're never going to have it exactly the way we want it, but you got to start somewhere and you got to start making some incremental progress. And we know, you know, to your point that we have, a, we have a good deer population. We've got healthy numbers. We've got plenty of bucks on the property. I think we saw, between the trail, trail cameras and just in-person sightings, probably as many, if not more bucks this year than we've, than we've ever seen out there. Now, most of those are, you know, year and a half, two and a half, maybe a couple of, you know, a few three and a half year old deer that, that aren't going to blow anybody away with a couple of, you know, exceptions that were, that were pretty decent. But like you said, you start potentially getting some, some better food on the property. Some of the things we can do in terms of improving the cover um, you know, we've got plenty of water. We've got plenty of, um, diversity in terms of the, of the, the habitat structure, uh, with the bottom land, the pasture, the hardwoods, et cetera. And so you start, you start coming up with that list, you start putting it into, into action. And every year there's always going to be something that you can do to make it a little bit better. And I think, I think that's going to be pretty much the case for, for most guys and, and most properties out there. Um, that, that aren't these, you know, grandiose managed, managed ranches or something like that, where, where time and resources are not an issue, but, you know, and that's, that's basically what our, uh, what our goal is. And, and we, you know, we're going to, we're going to share that with y'all as, as we either fail or succeed. Yeah, for sure. We'll, uh, yeah. So going forward, I think the the big focus is going to be probably putting out a couple more mineral uh, sites. We've got five out now. I think we might want to get that number to 10 and then just keep 
restocking and refilling the ones we've got out. We don't. We pulled in all of our, all of our trail cams. Um, there's a. I just don't see a whole lot of sense in running them year round. Once they shed, you're just looking at shed bucks and burning through batteries. So we'll probably put those back out late April or early May, just to kind of get them out and established early, so we don't have any pressure when they're starting to uh, to come in. And then really have them on the food and the mineral sites, especially. I think I'm really interested to see what and how like how frequently they're hitting the mineral sites that's gonna be really cool and then we're probably gonna expand into so we seeded what two two plots and then clover and the the third the third spot or did you put some of the food plot seed there as well yeah i put i put three spots uh clover and all three and then some of the some of that food plot mix in two of the three i think yeah i think it was two of the three yeah, yeah. and so Basically, what we've decided is any of the spots that the cattle can access, if we think it's still a good spot, is instead of putting food plot mix that where the you know any sort of the blends are just going to get really hammered, is just really trying to seed clover, because I think our soils, and Perry can speak to this more intelligently than I can, but it's pretty nitrogen depleted, and I know uh, clover is really good for putting nitrogen back in the soil. Plus, it's a perennial, and the deer love it. And so being a perennial, it means it comes back every year. So if we can get the clover to establish and take, then we don't have to continue to seed year in and year out like we will the plots. And so right now we've got we've got some um, kind of a mix of some native grasses with some uh, some invasives and then a lot of freaking broom straw, which is just not good for anything. And so we're we're trying to kind of fix the composition of what our grasses look like. Yeah, and then on top of that, you got to factor in that the pastures themselves where the cattle do have access to haven't really been managed appropriately for, for some time now in terms of um, th- those soils up there are typically extremely acidic. And so, you know, you have to kind of generally get them on a lime regimen. Um, you know, a lot of farmers will also supplement with, with synthetic fertilizers, which, you know, is fine and, and certainly can be done, but there's any, any number of things that we could do. Um, the limitations are always going to be there. Uh, some of which we just aren't going to be able to get around. They just kind of are what they are, but coming in with a little lime, coming in with some of that clover going to fix the nitrogen. Um, and then going forward, start to incorporate other species as well. And other types of, of, um, of grasses and forbs. And, you know, something I want to do also is really encourage some of the, the native forbs to come in. And that's something that I've kind of, been thinking about various strategies for how we can do that because that is something that's going to provide the deer and not just the deer, but turkeys, squirrels, all the different birds, et cetera. Uh, maximum, maximum benefit is encourage some of the, the native species to, to, uh, to get, to get a, a foothold back. So that's something that that's on my list as well. Yeah. And we've talked about how we need to do a better job of really tackling a lot of the invasive, you know, uh, woody stem stuff with the multifloral rose, the autumn olives, the barberry. I mean, it's all over the place on our farm. And so we just need to really focus on, on killing it, you know, getting it, getting it gone and then trying to reestablish native, uh, you know, native species in its place to then fill that void. Because if nothing's there, as you well know, Perry, it's something else, something's always going to fill it. Oh, yeah. it. What ends up happening is, you get these invasive species that just take like wildfire. And then once they just get out of control, it's so hard to keep them in check. And then, I mean, last year I cleared, I don't know, a significant portion of the trails on the farm 
cut back all the autumn olive, but we didn't kill it. We didn't hit it. Like they have like this poison paint stuff. I don't know. You paint the stumps and uh, we didn't use that. We just kind of cut it all back. And I thought, ah, it'll be, it'll be all right. <laughs> Before the season, it was grown back even thicker. It was wild. I mean, month and a half. It, it's, it grows so fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, it's got those berries that come out in the summer and the fall that the birds just absolutely tear up. And so, you know, you get, you get the birds eating all those berries flying all over the place, shitting them out. And then that stuff just spreads like absolute wildfire. And it's the same with a couple of the other species out there. And, you know, invasive species management is, is a real, is a real problem for a lot of people. Um, there's, there's all sorts of ways you can, you can manage it chemically. There's all sorts of, of good pesticides out there or herbicides, excuse me, that you can use on various species, but you know, some of those have, have drawbacks as well. So that's a real problem. It's something that I certainly want to address on this property, but it is not going to be a, a, uh, quick fix. It's going to be something that takes years of, of fighting because like you said, they, they've absolutely taken over the world out there. So. Yeah, well, we, we definitely have a long list of stuff we can uh, still have to get after, but we're coming up on an hour now. So we can go ahead and wrap this one up, but definitely appreciate everybody. As always, you guys tagging along, listening to, you know, as we say two uh, two dumb hillbillies sitting here rambling about things we care about. And we're just glad and flattered that you guys are, you know, care to listen and, and kind of tag along. I think this weekend we'll do a, uh, probably a, pod, a recap podcast and then we'll do that Q and a podcast. If you guys didn't see, I did post a thing on Instagram for you guys to submit questions. If any of you guys have any questions that you want us to tackle in the Q and a podcast, just go ahead and shoot them to me in a DM or just look for another post on this, on the uh, Hunt Lift Eat page for the story. But uh, definitely let us know what any questions you guys have. Cause we'll do a whole podcast where we're just going to go through and answer listener questions. But as always, thank you guys so much. Uh, <laughs> I'm stumbling through my words, man. I'm tired. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Give us a follow at Hunt Lift Eat Official. Um, if you guys are listening to this on Apple, drop us a, a rating and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And definitely be sure to subscribe to this podcast.